Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Happy Easter Harvest, so good to be with you. It's really hard to believe that one year ago we were just at the dawn of this pandemic and we were totally unable to be together on Easter. And so it was near the beginning of when we, be, we started offering these online worship services. Uh, thank you for tuning in this morning from your home. And we're so thankful that you've faithfully done that week after week. Uh, we feel like the light at the end of the tunnel is visible. And soon we will be able to be all together as a church again. But thank you for being faithful all year to tune in at 10 o'clock on Sundays and join us together. And, and for those of you who will be there at the live service, nearly 100 harvesters are going to be together this afternoon. And so we're so thankful for that. You, you know, Easter is supposed to be a celebration. And with the great weather today and with the prospect of gathering together in person with so many, it's really easy to feel that sense of celebration about what this day ought to be about. The early Christians didn't just celebrate Easter once a year. Or they didn't celebrate the resurrection just once a year at Easter, though. They talked about it. They celebrated it every single time they gathered. It was, without a doubt, the single most important event in their collective faith. It's, it's in their history, in their faith movement, that thing which happened, which changed everything. In fact, it's the reason why Christians worship together on Sundays. Have you ever wondered why we pick Sundays? It wasn't just because on the seventh day God rested, because the truth is that Saturday used to be the last day of the week, and that's when for centuries, for millennia, the Jewish people worshiped together. But when Jesus came on the scene and He was raised from death, it was like the start of a whole new era. And so instead of the last day of the week, they chose the first day of the week to signal a new beginning, the new life that's possible because the resurrection actually happened. So this morning, I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, as we really should on Easter. Christianity itself is built on the resurrection of Christ. You know, Jesus and the Christian movement had a lot of enemies, and they were powerful enemies. And they could easily have killed the entire Christian movement right at the start, simply by producing the body of Jesus. He was widely recognized. He was a public figure. People knew what he looked like. All they needed to do was produce a body, and they could have squashed the whole thing right at the onset. And yet, in spite of their great resources and their high motivation to do this, they couldn't do it. They could not produce the body because the tomb was empty. No one was expecting it. No one was looking for it. But just like that, his body was no longer in the tomb. And yet, think about this, a missing body by itself would not have established the Christian faith. See, and I don't know that we could reliably feel that we're saved if all we knew was that Jesus' body was missing from the grave, because people would have written it off as a conspiracy, perfectly executed. It wasn't enough that we believed Jesus rose from the dead. It had to be established in historical fact as not something we wanted to happen, but something that did happen. If Jesus had not risen from death, then what we observed on Friday at the Good Friday service, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, would have just gone down in history as another tragedy, another example of a good and innocent person being put to death by evil systems and powers in, a, in the world. That's always sad, but it's not remarkable. Many such stories 
have taken place over human history. But the resurrection of Jesus established that He was God and that everything He said and everything that He promised was trustworthy. Because He wasn't just a good man who died a martyr's death, but by rising from death, He showed that God had approved of His sacrifice and God has recognized His divine status. That this is not just a man, but this is God Himself, risen from death, and with His rising, we also rise. Now, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is one of the most rich sources of information about resurrection. In fact, from the first to the very last verse, the whole chapter, 58 verses, is only about one topic, resurrection. And if you have time in the month to come, I would strongly suggest that you spend a lot of time doing a deep dive into 1 Corinthians 15. It is such a rich and invigorating study. I really enjoyed just pouring over this chapter of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 5-6 is Paul's way of setting up the historicity of the resurrection. And he writes, He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And listen to this, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Did you see what he did there? He established that not only had he appeared to Jesus' inner circle, but the risen Jesus in his new glorified body, he didn't just appear to those closest to him, which could have been, um, you know, much like the way that the Church of Mormon was established, it was Joseph Smith and a bunch of people with the last name Smith. It was like the inner circle. And it's very easy to maintain uh, something if it's a tightly woven group of people. But he expanded further out. He appeared to 500 of his followers in one occasion. And what Paul says is that every single one of them saw what, what he saw, what, what the other apostles saw, and many of them are still alive today for you to cross-examine, to stare them in the eye and say, what did you really see that day? What did you see? You know, I got to imagine that if it happened today, what you'd see is 500 people doing this, right? They, they would have had their phones out and they'd be recording video. And that would have been really awesome, wouldn't it, to have uh, video evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, the risen Christ. But we didn't have that, and yet he appeared to people, many of whom were still alive and could be questioned, cross-examined at the time that Paul was writing his letters to the church. Luke, in Acts 1-3, adds a further uh, dimension to the story. After his suffering, he, meaning the risen Jesus, presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this wasn't like some one-and-done appearance to 500 people, some grief-driven mass hallucination, which it would have been easy to write that off as that. But over 40 days, he hung out in his risen body with those who followed him. And in many of the occasions that were recorded in Scripture, he was doing really mundane things like actually eating meals with these people. I'm so comforted by the fact that Jesus ate because growing up I was given this idea that heaven was this place where we would just become ethereal spirits or something and we would fly up and sit on clouds and play harps and have this unending church service. And the idea that the risen Jesus 
eat. That was comforting because let's be honest, we like eating. And I'm so glad that that is going to be a part of the life to come. It's simple things like friends sitting together, consuming food, and having conversation. And in those contexts, Jesus went out of His way to let them know and see and touch, to be convinced that this was not a figment of their imagination, but He really did rise from death. And it was a historically reliable incident, and it was for them a permanent part of their life story, a thing that happened to them and in front of them that would forever change their lives. You know, I said earlier that we don't have video evidence, but the proof for us, and this is a real and valid form of proof, is in the lives of the people who saw the risen Jesus. Because prior to that, they were kind of misguided and not really the sharpest knives in the drawer. Some of these guys, Jesus said things so clearly, and they still were not looking for what He said to expect. And yet, after they see the risen Jesus, that those encounters had such a profound effect on the followers of Christ who saw Him risen. It forever defined their lives. Many, maybe most even, of those people died horrible martyrs' deaths because they would not let go of their belief in Jesus. They went to their graves rather than renounce Jesus. And here's the thing, most normal people won't die to keep a lie going. At some point, you're like, no, I swear I saw him. And if they start bringing out ropes and and swords and axes, at that point, wouldn't you, if you were lying, just go, you know what, forget it. It's not worth it. I take it back. And yet, even to the point of death, so many of the followers of Jesus, especially those eyewitnesses, willingly gave up their lives rather than say to anybody else, I didn't see what I saw. The encounter with the risen Jesus changed their lives forever. You know, nearly every book of the New Testament talks about the resurrection. It is such a central topic, and so much can be said about it. But in the remaining time I have, I really just want to draw out one particular aspect of the resurrection that is a source of such hope and power for our lives. Keep in mind, I'm not saying everything that could be said about the resurrection. So there may be something you were expecting to hear that you won't hear today. But please do hear what was laid on my heart to say to our church today. And one really big way that the resurrection gives hope and power to us is the way that Jesus achieved victory over death. You know, the older I get, the more unfair mortality feels. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like my appetite for life, my desire to live, so far exceeds the length of life that I'm given. There's so much I want to see and do and experience, so many places I want to go. And you know, the only thing that keeps me from wanting to live forever on earth is that every year my body gets frailer and more broken. That's the part that I think eventually makes me go, I think I'm ready to go home. In this frail and broken state, who really wants to stick around forever as a shadow of what they once were in the flesh? And yet, if it weren't for that, I feel like a hundred lifetimes would not be enough to satisfy the appetite that I have for living. And I've got to imagine that I'm not the only one. That for many of you, you just feel it. Like life is too short for the amount of desire that is in you to live. I think that's one of the reasons why when I heard the gospel as a young adult for the first time, the idea of eternal life 
was so appealing to me. Not just as wishful thinking, but because something deep down inside of me said, that's, there's something there that's got to be true because I have such a yearning for life and it's hard for me to accept that these 80 years or so is all we get. It didn't seem right that the God who would make such a world of wonder would only give us such a short time to experience it. Now, that wish and that hope alone doesn't make it true, but the resurrection anchors my yearning in something real. It, it gives me this real hope, a tangible hope, that my yearning for a life beyond the end of this one, that death would not be the end of the story, not my story, not anyone's story, that hope is anchored in something profound that happened, witnessed by hundreds of people over 40 days. And that's so important to me because somewhere deep down when I first heard about eternal life, I just knew that was true. It needed to be true. I wanted it to be true. And in Jesus, it was possible for me to actually believe it without letting go of my intellectual integrity. When I read Ecclesiastes 3.11 for the first time, it made so much sense to me. The writer says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And listen to this. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Another translation says, He has deposited eternity into the hearts of men and women. See, I think most human beings have experienced that. It's what I was describing earlier. A yearning for there to be more than this. And not just in, in duration, but also in quality. Like this one go-around doesn't feel like enough. And God puts this spark, this mystery of life into us. And it just feels deep down that we were made for something more and longer than this short life. But before Jesus and before the resurrection, that longing, that yearning was nothing more than that. It was just a hope, a wish, a desire, but nothing more. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and again, that's the chapter where Paul writes entirely for 58 verses about the resurrection. He says, claiming Jesus' victory, he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's citing Hosea 13, 14 there. And it's a well-known verse. And what he's saying is, death has always had the victory over human beings. Always. No matter how much wealth we accumulate, no matter how carefully we eat, no matter how much we exercise, no matter how many safety measures and walls of defense we put up around us, eventually every single one of us dies. Death claims everyone. And once we die... We stay dead permanently. And death and that loss for the person who has died, but also for those who survived them, always comes with a sting. A feeling of sharp loss, of sadness, of profound reflection on how short, how unfair all of this ultimately feels if this is it. And what Paul says is upon the resurrection, Jesus declared His victory over death and said death will no longer have to be the end of the story. We've always had deposited in us by God a yearning for eternity, for something more, something better. And in His resurrection, Jesus secured that possibility for us. 
Paul writes to the, the, the Romans in Romans 8.11 something great. It's such good news for us. He says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. I want you to take a second and read that verse again on the screen there. God's Spirit that raised Jesus from death is the same Spirit who lives in you. And in just the same way that in the resurrection He raised Jesus, now through that same Spirit living in you and me, He is raising us. Not just after we die, but the beginning of that transformation from a a way of death into a way of life is already begun. It started now. You know, death had been batting a thousand until Jesus. But on the day of his resurrection, the scorecard read, Death, billions, life, one. And after Jesus made it possible for death no longer to be the end of anyone's story, he's been racking up the winds one after another after another. I'm one of those winds. I praise Jesus that he saved me when I was young. And you who are listening, you know that that's your story as well. If it isn't yet, we have every faith that it will be before too long. I mean, death strikes each of us the same way. A feeling of frustration, unfairness, sadness, loss. And yet, in Jesus, one of the great gifts we receive is that we don't have to see death as the end of the line. Let me end with this. The resurrection of Jesus, the prospect of life that continues forever, isn't meant just to give us hope for after we die, but it's meant to affect profoundly the way that we live right now. Let me give you some illustrations of this. In, in 1 Corinthians 15.32, listen to what Paul writes. And here he's quoting Isaiah 22.13. He says, if the dead are not raised, in other words, if there is no such thing as resurrection for Jesus or for us, then, here's the right response, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And I can't read that verse without picturing a bunch of swarthy people in a medieval hall just raising mugs of ale and just living for the moment. And you know, I think we all know people like that. Some of us are people like that. We love life, but we live it to the full right now. We are living for the present. We are trying to extract every last drop of juice, every last bit of pleasure and goodness and excitement that we can from this planet, the short life that we've been given. At times, though, it's not just a zeal for life, but it seems more like a desperation. You know, I think the best analogy, maybe because we're in March Madness, this is what I'm thinking about. It's like some people are living with a giant shot clock in the sky. And I feel like if I didn't have Christ and the hope of resurrection, that's exactly where I'd be. I'm 53 now, and each year my body is reminding me, (laughs) you're over the top of that hill. You're on the downhill ride to the end. I'd be very aware that I don't have forever 
down here. And the years I have left are going to be defined by decline and weakness in so many ways. And really, when I see people who are then in response to that, just living for everything they can. You know, when I visited Hawaii, I was shocked to see some people just lounging around on the beach, reading books. Like, you came all the way to Hawaii to this amazing place, and you're sitting there staring at a book. How can you do that? I I felt like I was desperate to see and experience everything, but that's because with the the kind of resources I have, in my mind, I was like, Jeannie and I are going to get to Hawaii once in our life, probably. It ended up being more than once, but at the time, I was like, how can anyone take a second of this for granted? But then as I, I got to talk to some of these people, they're like, oh, we come here, like we have a timeshare, we have a home here, we come out like three, four times a year. And I realized that that's the difference between eternal perspective and earthly perspective. For the person who may only be here this one time, not get another shot, every second feels urgent, desperate, like I got to get the most in before it's over forever. But for the person who knows there's more to come, more to come, I'll be here in three months from now, they can actually enjoy the peace and tranquility of the sound of the surf, of the the warmth of the sun, and they can read a novel in paradise because they will pass this way again. There is more time, more opportunity. How does that strike you? Where, Where in that equation do you find yourself? It's good to have a zeal for life. I'm not saying we should be austere and ascetic and and never enjoy anything. I'm not saying that at all. But do you sense in yourself a grasping at life that is driven more by desperation, by this feeling of a giant shot clock in the sky that is counting down, and if you don't get all the shots off by the time the buzzer goes off, that's it for you. Do you see that we can't live for eternal things unless we are convinced that eternity will be ours? So how about you? Do you truly believe that in the resurrection of Jesus, He has made eternity a real possibility for you? Because if you don't truly believe it, your life will tell the truth. There will be a desperation, an urgency, even a panic in the way you try to maximize the the utility, the pleasure of this one shot at life. If you don't believe in eternity, then living for eternal things is insanity with this one shot you have at life. Let me close with the great words of the Apostle Paul to his letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Harvest this morning, this afternoon, wherever you may be, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the good news that as He rose, He is raising us as well. And that that dread we have always felt about death, the yearning for something more than this, can be realized. It's not just wishful thinking. It is a real and living hope because He was risen 
He is alive, and He makes us alive. May this give you real and true encouragement, peace in your heart, a whole different perspective and way of approaching your life. Life passes us by faster than we could ever have imagined. You blink and it's nearly over, and it never feels like enough. But praise be to God in the Lord Jesus Christ that with His rising, we can also rise. And because He is risen, death does not have to be the end of your story or mine. May that truth, that simple thought, change the way you think about everything. It changed the church over all of history. May it change you and me today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.